Happy Families podcast. It's the podcast for the time poor parent who just wants answers now. There are a lot of kids who are turning to drugs and alcohol because they just don't know what to do with the pain that they're not getting any help with. And now here's the stars of our show, my mum and dad. Hello, it's Dr. Justin Coulson, the author of six books about raising happy families and the founder of happyfamilies.com. Today's podcast contains themes that include addiction, abuse, and suicide. While not rated explicit, the content may not be suitable for some people. I'm joined by Kylie. Say hi. Hi. (laughs) My wife and mum to our six daughters. We are so excited uh, to be developing a wonderful relationship with somebody who has got so much to offer mums and dads around the world. Her name is Jessica Lay. Jessica is a New York Times bestselling author. She wrote The Gift of Failure how the best parents learn to let go so that their children can succeed. But Jess has just released a new book that tells a really important story. Her book is called The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. And we're talking to Jess about that book today. Jess, you tell a really confronting personal story in the book. Would you be willing to share that with us here? Sure. Yeah. The book. So this book came for me out of a couple of things. Number one, um, as an alcoholic, I have uh, almost eight years of recovery. It'll be eight years in June. I have two boys who were born with a genetic predisposition for substance abuse. Um, uh, we That appears to the genetics appear to be about 50 to 60% of the risk picture. So that's a big deal in our family. And it comes from, by the way, both my side and my husband's side of the family. And on top of that, the last five years of my teaching career were spent teaching in an inpatient rehab for drug and alcohol rehab for kids. So you know, I, once I sort of got a hold on my own drinking, um, I had to start thinking about, okay, so moving forward, having with this increased risk, how do I help my kids? How do I protect my kids as much as possible? What does it mean when we talk about the fact that substance abuse is, um, is a preventable disease? What do we mean when we say it can be prevented? What are the, you know, what does that really mean? What can I do? What can't I do? And then I kept looking at my students in my classroom and thinking, you know, man, I'm seeing some commonalities here, but what's anecdotal evidence? What's what's really happening? What are the myths? Um, what causes kids to end up in this situation? And so, you know, it was a really urgent question for me, um, but also an urgent question for, you know, I think for education. And so there's an education chapter in here, but for most, for the most part, it's really about, you know, anyone who is a mentor, caregiver to kids, what can we do? What can't we do in order to prevent substance abuse in kids? Mummy wine time is a really big thing. Social media is full of memes about how um, parents and and particularly mums need Mm -hmm. to have their wine. Two questions. First of all, I meet a lot of parents who say they stopped drinking because they didn't want to get tipsy or drunk in front of the children. Mm -hmm. They're scared that their kids are going to catch them drunk, basically. Mm -hmm. But secondly, how does a parent know if maybe they're relying a bit too much on that five o'clock wine while they're preparing dinner and the eight o'clock wine once the kids are in bed? How does a parent draw the line and create boundaries that are safe and healthy for them and their family? 
You know, there's uh, there was a book that came out just a little while ago and, and gained a lot of attention because uh, Chrissy Teigen got on Twitter and said this is why she was going to stop drinking. It was Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman. And while there's a lot I disagree with, there's a, the, the thing that I absolutely love that Holly Whitaker does in this book is she says, look, those sort of am I an alcoholic tests, while they can be useful for some people, it can also be a way of saying, oh, well, I don't I'm not an alcoholic, so I don't need to worry about this stuff here. But the idea that I really love that she talks about is if we were to take that like definition of alcoholic away and say, is alcohol impacting your work, your life, your friendships, your sleep, your anxiety, your depression, whatever that thing is, then maybe there's an issue. So the fact that someone thinks to themselves, is this a problem is usually the point at which they're starting to, and it was for me anyway, um, the point at which they start to think, you know, like this, I'm uncomfortable with this. So there is no line for any one person. Like I was an exceedingly highly functional alcoholic. I was teaching full-time. I was writing for the Atlantic on a regular basis. I had a column in the New York times and I was still drinking too much. Um, My story has a lot of not yet's in it, like a lot of really bad stuff was just about to happen and I could feel it coming. So I think for for a lot of people, we become a little bit dependent on um, that label alcoholic. And if you're not an alcoholic, that you don't need to think about whether or not you're drinking too much. And actually, I, I want to point out really quickly with the mommy wine time, I, I, if you want to have mommy wine time, that's fine. But think about, and I don't care whether, you know, if adults want to have adult wine time with their friends, that's one thing. But if we're sending the message to our kids that parenting is so hard, we have to drink that I saw wine glasses um, in a bookstore that said, I teach, therefore I drink. The implication being that teaching is so hard and so upsetting that we have to drink in order to to cope with it. When we say I had such a hard day at work, I really need a glass of wine. Those sort of messages um, are that messaging is what really worries me. When we send the message to kids that the answer to feeling sad, angry, hurt, depressed, upset is to drink in order to deal with it or have some or to medicate it in order to deal with it. That's where we tend to run into problems is with our messaging about alcohol and drugs. We have some friends who work with the police. Their Mm -hmm. suggestion is that if alcohol was less acceptable, that they probably would have a reduction in their business of about 80%. Maybe even 90%. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, what's so crazy about legalization and I'm pro-legalization is the fact that, and you know, in the U.S. it's been happening slowly state by state with, with marijuana and, and uh, some psychedelics. Um, alcohol is way more dangerous than so many of these drugs that we're, you know, battling to the death about legalizing. And partially that's because alcohol has been with us for a very, very long time. And and there's a whole section of the book that talks about why humans drink and where that comes from and what it helps us with. And the wonderful part about alcohol for people that don't have a tendency to not be able to stop after the first drink, unlike myself, is um, it can really help be help us be more convivial. It can bring people together. But with the 10% of us who can't drink responsibly, uh, healthily, um, it leads us to a place of unbelievable isolation and secrecy. And the only way out of that, there's a saying in, in recovery that um, the opposite of addiction is connection, um, that it's not sobriety, it's connection. And 
the only way out of that incredible isolation is by building, you know, building those connections back with other human beings. And I was in a place where, you know, when I was at my worst, nobody knew, no one knew I had to keep that secret. And, um, it was the most stressful and upsetting part of my life. And, uh, you know, things have been so much better on this side of it, I have to say. Jessica, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to share a deeply personal story about alcohol that's impacted my family and explore a bit about what is creating this culture of dependence Mm -hmm. and addiction Mm -hmm. for our children. We'll do that in just a sec. It's the Happy Families Podcast. Are screens creating tension at home? Tweens, Teens and Screens is a webinar to guide families to healthy, safe, super screen solutions. Buy today at happyfamilies.com.au slash shop. It's the Happy Families Podcast, the podcast for the time poor parent who just wants answers now. And today we're talking with Jessica Lay about her new book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. And I'm going to jump in because you've got a baby in your arms who's making it extremely difficult for you to talk (laughs) uh, because this is what happens when we're living life with kids. Uh, Jess, a story that I don't share very often but feels really pertinent to this conversation Kylie and I don't drink. We don't drink for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of those, not the only reason, but certainly one of those reasons is uh, the way alcohol has affected both of our extended families. Mm-hmm. Many years ago, in fact, just after Kylie and I were married, uh, we received the tragic news that my uncle had taken his life um, by suicide. He had a history of alcohol abuse. And my grandparents also drank heavily. Uh, I think that he learned to drink from them. Uh, He'd been in and out of jail because of his alcoholism and his behavior when drunk. And uh, one night, just after we were married, he got so drunk and he decided that he absolutely uh, needed more money to buy more alcohol. He couldn't get access to any money. So he caught a cab to my grandparents' home. They locked him out of the house because they knew that he was drunk. Mm He broke down the door of the house and he beat them. Mm -hmm. They they were in their 60s at the time and they were hospitalised with broken cheeks and broken ribs and uh, it it was a devastating uh, moment. But the next day when he, I guess, sobered up a little bit and realised what he'd done, he he couldn't live with himself. He realised that alcohol had taken so much from him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has had a, a tremendous impact on the way our family views Alcohol. Now, you've been really clear. This does not happen to everybody. This is an unusual thing. Right. Um, probably, right. probably about 10% of the population don't know how to handle their drink. Many people are able to handle it quite responsibly. Actually, I want to correct you. It's not don't know how to handle it. It's that they're, we are, we're wired differently. There's different chemical makeups going on. Our brains react differently. Yeah, to and, and, and can't drugs. stop. Right. Can't right. stop. What, what I'd really like to ask you about, based on the research that you've done, is what creates this culture of dependence for us and for our children? Uh, so it's so interesting. Uh, Gift of Failure really dovetails in a way with this book because there's a lot of sort of a number one wanting things to be fixed right away. And, you know, we're so fortunate in that we have great 
pain relieving and disease relieving drugs and and we're able to not hurt you know to not be in pain if we have a tooth extracted we don't have to feel any pain at all right so our tolerance for discomfort is really really low and and parents don't want to see their kids hurt and so you know for example when our when my son uh got his wisdom teeth pulled it they automatically handed us a script for um for an opiate and i said I'm actually uncomfortable with us having opiates in the house. So, um, so if we'll take the script, but we're not going to fill it unless we need it kind of thing. And, and it wasn't just because I'm uncomfortable with having opiates in the house because of me, it's just, they're worth a lot of money and it's very tempting to a kid who needs extra money. And it's very tempting to a kid who might want to just check out for a little bit. So we have this culture that sort of makes us believe that we can have our stuff we want right away. We don't have to ever hurt. We don't have to feel any discomfort. And if you're anxious or if you're depressed, you can luckily for many of us take a drug and feel better right away. And so I think we're in a position where um, we're not dealing with uh, not helping a lot of kids with their trauma, not helping a lot of kids with adverse childhood experiences. We're, you know, keeping a lot of secrets. There's a lot of sort of shame and guilt around stuff that happens to kids in childhood. And so, for example, you end up with a, a situation where, um, you know, a kid who has a learning disorder or a kid who has been had sexual abuse or a kid who has grown up in a house where there's violence and doesn't get treated for that stuff. There's a lot of emotional pain there. And our brains register that emotional pain and that physical pain similarly and opiates help with both. And so we end up in a situation where kids may not have the tools they need in order to deal with that stuff and get at the core issues and instead just sort of can numb out or, you know, escape from that. And it's really interesting. There was a discussion going on on Twitter the other day where um, someone I really like, Tracy Helton Mitchell, who wrote this book called The Big Fix, she had gone through a lot of trauma and she actually said something that was really interesting, which was thank goodness for opiates or for drugs because they helped her survive until she could get to a place in her life where she could deal with her trauma, which is a really, you know, strange way to look at it. But there are a lot of kids who are turning to drugs and alcohol because they just don't know what to do with the pain that they're not getting any help with. So the whole thrust of this book is how do we help make kids feel like they are enough? They are good enough. They don't need to, um, you know, walk into a situation and have a beer in order to feel like they have the liquid courage they need to be, you know, present in that situation. And how do we help them um, deal with their trauma so that they can, come into the world from a place of uh, where they can learn and become and grow and not have to just deal with the burden of that pain. Well, Jess, because this is the podcast for the Time Poor Parent who just wants answers now, we would love it if you would share with us a couple of things that parents could do to actually help them deal with these challenges. So very quickly, think of risk for substance abuse and, um, and, uh, protections, like one of those, you know, old timey scales of justice where one gets side gets heavier and you have to make the other side heavy to, to zero them out. So if your risk side is super heavy and those are r- risks for substance abuse include things like obviously genetics, epigenetics, which is like a combination of environment and genetics, um, trauma, big T and little t trauma that kids go through, um, 
academic failure, social ostracism, divorce and separation, things like that, adverse childhood experiences. So the more we know about our kids' individual risk factors, the more strategic we can be in applying the prevention measures. And prevention measures are things like, you know, oddly enough, having family dinner is, is a big protection for against substance abuse. And I like to refer to that as sort of a emblematic of something that's really about just regular family check-ins. It doesn't necessarily have to be family dinner, but it can be, you know, when you're driving to and from those soccer games or when you're, you know, any sort of family time, when you're getting together, you're looking at each other, you're sort of getting a sense of what everyone's going through. Um, really open family communication. Prevention starts for substance abuse starts really, really young. And it really looks most like really good social emotional learning programs in schools where you're talking about all kinds of mental health stuff, but you're also talking about physical health. And it starts with conversations in nursery school, in preschool and in kindergarten with conversations about like why you don't spit out the why we spit out toothpaste and why we don't swallow it why don't we why we don't put chemicals in our mouths why oh look here's a prescription bottle this has mommy's name on it what do you think would happen if daddy wanted to take this drug should we let daddy take a prescription bottle that has mommy's name on it should i give you medicine from my prescription bottle and conversations about why we don't take drugs that don't are prescribed for us and then move up developmentally with kids as they get older until you're finally in middle school talking about refusal skills and what's called um, uh, inoculation theory and helping give kids um the information they need in order to push back when someone asks them if they would like to have drugs or alcohol with them um so prevention, early intervention for learning issues, early intervention for um, for things like child on child aggression, kids who are aggressive towards other uh, kids have much higher levels of substance abuse during their lifetime. And then we have to just have this is the big, big picture thing here is. Families who have a consistent, clear message of no, not until it is legal for you have kids with much lower rates of substance use disorder. Now, there's a causation correlation issue there. There are some confounding factors to be dealt with there, but that is generally the case is that in families where there's permissive um, talk about substance, whether that's you know, kids are going to do it anyway, so they might as well do it here and I'll take away everyone's keys and it'll be safe. That is actually a permissive attitude towards uh, substance use. And it, it actually what it does is it creates kids that have higher um, likelihood of having substance use disorder during their lifetime. And we don't I don't say, you know, delay, delay, delay for just the reason that um, it lowers the risk of substance use disorder during their lifetime, which it does. By the time we get them to 18, we've lowered it down to about 10 percent, which is what it is in the general population. Uh, I, I just I, I consistently say to parents, don't buy your kids alcohol. Tell them they can't mm-hmm. drink until they're 18. Be really clear on it for all of the reasons that you've said this has just been such an amazing conversation i wish we could go deeper and spend more time on it but if people (laughs) want to learn about their own uh use of anything that could be addictive Mm -hmm. as well as how to inoculate their children against the 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 perils of this addiction the book is called the addiction inoculation raising healthy kids in a culture of dependence the reviews are outstanding the conversation we've just had now is extraordinary i think that it's going to be wonderfully helpful jessica lay you've been a wonderful friend of our podcast and we're so grateful to have had you on again Thank you so much for having me. The Happy Families podcast is produced by Justin Rulon from Bridge Media. Craig Bruce is our executive producer. And if you'd like more info about making your family happier, you can visit happyfamilies.com.au. Listener.